I'm creative business coach Anastasia Williams, and you are listening to Making Magic, a podcast for fiber artists, makers, and creatives who are looking to craft a business with intention. Hello, welcome to episode 25. I I am super, super, super excited to bring you this interview episode today. So I am speaking with Allison Yates and Andrea Cole of Neutrino, which effectively they describe as the Google Maps for knitting. And you'll see exactly what they mean by that as we work through this episode. I met Allison and Andrea back in 2018 at Vogue Knitting Live in Minneapolis, back when I was a dyer. And at this point, they were really just kind of getting started on their journey of of research and interviewing uh, everybody who was in kind of that fiber community to see exactly what was needed and what kind of product they were going to create as a result, which I think is really important. You know, it's a lot better, a lot better to figure out what your people need and then create that versus just making something because you want to make it and seeing if anybody wants it. Um, You've heard me talk about this before, but regardless, uh, I am just going to go ahead and jump into this because I think you're going to get so, so, so much value out of it. And these gals are just, they are the best. Tell me about yourselves. Introduce yourselves and what you do and how you got to doing it. Andrea, why don't you start? All right. So I think the story starts when Allison was born and I was a year and a half old. (laughs) (laughs) We met then. Um, We're sisters and we, like many sisters who are close in age, fought all the time growing up and um, we're completely opposites. And um, it wasn't until later in life that we grew closer. We both kind of grew up a little. And okay, so I'll be very kind of vulnerable and uh, talk about how I got started knitting because I think a lot of people do with grief in different ways. Um, I had just been through Hurricane Katrina. My husband was newly stationed in the Air Force. We'd lived there for a month when we had to move to Texas. And I was pregnant and I had a miscarriage. So it was like one of the hardest times in my life. I just felt like the world was so tough, you know, and life was so sad. And so I was doing yoga a lot, but it it wasn't enough. Like, um, I would just cry all the time. And so I started knitting. I kind of knew how from before, but I never really did much of it. So I was just knitting garter stitch for miles and miles. And it helped so much and um, got me through that year. And then we moved all over the world and I stopped knitting because our lives were crazy and garter stitch was boring. And so when we moved to Oklahoma, I had a friend who was riding my second horse And we would go on these riding adventures together and we became very, very close. And she asked me one day, because we were hanging out all the time. She said, do you knit? And I said, yeah, but I, you know, I don't do much, just scarves. And she said the words that would change my life and probably set us on the journey that got us here. You can knit anything if you just follow the pattern. And so I set off on a journey to, with each new 
pattern, learn something new. Cause I knew I really wanted to make a sweater with beautiful color work. And I didn't know how to do any of that. So I, I learned color work, then I learned sweaters. And then I was making that sweater. That was my dream sweater. And then I was like, well, where do I go from here? I just made my own sweater from my brain. Like, um, and so I started writing patterns and the very first one I sent off to a magazine got picked up and it was just kind of like a steamroller, like more and more patterns were getting put out. And then Allison comes into the story. Yeah. So I, it's interesting. Andrea talked about how we met, but I don't remember that. No, you don't. <laughs> I don't either. Um, so let's see. I, um, Andrea didn't talk very much about her background. We do, we do share a science, we, sh- we share science as a background, um, although different sciences, but my background is in physics, uh, specifically in optics and lasers. And I had a long career, you know, I, I had been, <laughs> it's always fun to tell people I've been build, designing and building lasers, um, mainly for military applications for a number of years. I ended up, um, getting, uh, joining an engineering software company. Um, and I was on their executive team and I worked there for a number of years and it was really exciting to be a part of that company as it grew. So I I joined when it was still relatively small and, you know, during the seven or eight years, however many years I worked there, um, you know, we, we more than quadrupled the revenue. I mean, it, it was, it was a really exciting thing to be a part of because I, I really contributed to that in a lot of meaningful ways. And, you know, but it, it was already an established company when I joined it. And I just felt this yearning, you know, to, to really craft something new, like to, to be a part of the creation and grow it in the way that I thought it should grow because that that's where I was always banging my head against the wall. I felt like at, at my uh, company was that, you know, there were things that I thought should be done differently, but it was already established. And so I couldn't go back and, and redo it. I felt frustrated by that. And I thought, you know, I feel like I could do better. Like if I just did it myself, I could do better, but I, you know, I didn't know what I wanted to do exactly. Um, but I decided it was a good time uh, to exit that company. And I had a lot of things I had been working on. I had a, another little side research project I was exploring that was totally different. It was had to do with exoskeletons. Um, I was talking to another colleague about, he, he, so he had just, uh, he was a former CEO of ours and he had just started a private equity firm and was looking for somebody to CEO his newest acquisition. So I was thinking about doing that. But Andrea and I have always brainstormed business ideas off each other. I think because we both, um, we both are kind of creative in how we look at things but we're creative in different ways. And we both see you know, we, we process information totally differently. And so that is what made it really fun to brainstorm these ideas because, you know, she would see something one way and bring it up and I'd say, oh, but what if? Um, and we kept coming back to knitting because she had been publishing in these magazines for 
quite some time and knitting everything under the sun. And she would tell me all the time, like, you know, how frustrating it was that there hadn't been more innovation um, in terms of how information was conveyed, how knitting patterns worked, uh, the fact that if she wanted to try and use a knitting pattern on her phone, she was mostly just using a PDF and it, it lacked the functionality she needed of being able to mark on it. Yes. I would just butt in and say, I, I think I'm not dyslexic. I've never been properly tested, but my brain does like have a lot of trouble with all those abbreviations and the numbers. And I was teaching high school, high level, like AP bio and statistics. And, um, and it was so funny to me, the kids wanted to learn and I would have to teach them one at a time. And it's cause there's such a very, these, these kids can do the highest statistics in the world, but they couldn't figure out a knitting pattern because it's, it's its own language. And it's, there's just such a high barrier to learning. So that was part of my frustration too, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so, uh, you know, we had been talking about that for probably over a year at least. And, and then I decided to leave the company I was with and we just kept coming back to it. And we decided after I had, had left my company and was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do now, but I, I need to figure it out. <laughs> um, we decided we were just going to explore it to see if there was really a market there. You know, you don't want to build something new and exciting that nobody wants. <laughs> and you especially don't want to invest years of your life and your life savings building something nobody wants. Um, and so we decided, okay, we're going to commit three months. Just it's exploratory research. We're just going to talk to as many people as we can. Uh, and we want to hear about, you know, what people are knitting, how they're knitting, um, you know, what hacks they're using for their knitting that they don't even realize are hacks. And, um, and then in addition, you know, we wanted to talk to all sides of the market because if you can align the incentives and the desires of all the people involved in the market, um, you, you just have a much better chance of being successful because you want, you know, you want a scenario in which if you win, everyone wins. Um, and so, and then that's actually how we met you, Anastasia. Yeah, you um, were the very first show we went to. That's oh, right. really? Yeah. Oh, you're right. Minneapolis was the first one. Yeah, yeah. our yeah. first show. I remember that restaurant we ate. It was so nice. It was like a like an Irish pub, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but yeah, that it was really nice. It was really fun. But anyway, sorry. Continue. No, no. no. Um, but yeah. So uh, I I don't know what what's next. So that's that's kind of where we where we started. Um, we probably interviewed. So so we took things in phases, and actually. Um, I'm just gonna mention, so if anyone who is listening to this is thinking about starting a business and hasn't yet, or is thinking that they need to do a little market research and hasn't yet, um, there is this awesome book that, that we used a lot. It's called Validating Product Ideas Through Lean User Research. And it is by Tomer Sharon, and I can send you that um, information. Yeah, later. I need to read that. 
Um, well, the, the thing about it that I love, you know, it's like we knew we needed to talk to the market to understand what the market wanted. Everybody knows they need to do that, but knowing how to do it is a different different problem. And this book is like a handbook of how to talk to the market at different stages. And so it has, um, it has examples and templates, everything you need, no matter what stage you're at, to, to kind of get the information you need. And so <clears throat> we kept coming back to this book quite a lot um, in our early days. But, um, you know, the at the broadest level, you just kind of want to get a big slice of, of people. You don't necessarily, especially before you know who your market is, who your specific market is. Um, the, the phrase that people use is target market, which to me always sounds a little violent. Um, there, I don't know if you've noticed, there are a lot of uh, military words in market research. Um, you know, we, we've got to find our beachhead. We <laughs> our bullet points. Uh-huh, yeah. So... <laughs> Anyway, target market. Um, <laughs> I promise we're not targeting anyone. Um, so, so this, you know, wh where we started, honestly, we posted um, on a Ravelry. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh. It was brutal. I, I have never felt like so much wrath towards me. Yeah. People thought we had the most evil intentions. Like, I don't know what they thought we were going to steal their ideas or something, but Allison had to coin a new term. <laughs> we came up with a term as a result of that experience. And I don't know if we should include it, but we will tell you, we can decide later. <laughs> the term we came up with was ravel wrath, all one word. Uh, we had to deal with the wrath of the ravelers. Is that a word? I don't know. And anyway. really, to be fair, it was it was kind of funny because it was just a few really vocal people tearing us apart. We had lots of people sign up to let us um, yeah. interview them about their knitting. So there we, were there were lots of gracious people, but they weren't the ones yelling at us. <laughs> yeah, we we only left the post up for a day because people were just tearing us a new behind, and um, and we got we got like eighty six responses to to our survey people of people who said they were willing to talk to us just about their knitting. I mean, that's all we said we wanted, right? Um, but, but yeah, so, and that's where we started. And so pretty, pretty consistently, um, we heard a lot of the same things over and over, which is really what you're looking for. What are, what are the things that kind of rise to the top? Um, you know, we heard a, a huge number of stories just like Andrea's about people who learn to knit either out of grief because of anxiety lots of postpartum stories um one woman told us that uh after she had had her baby and had postpartum depression um she was on Zoloft and knitting was the only thing that got her off of Zoloft um and and so you know it was really kind of inspiring to hear how many people found mindfulness or comfort or solace or whatever word you want to use or a friend in a very lonely time like yeah. all those stories made me cry of like people who didn't have any friends and then this knitting group came into their lives like yeah yeah that's so, my story <laughs> yeah oh. yeah 
So, um, so yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Like, um, when we started, we actually had a very different vision of what Neutrino would be <laughs> before we talked to people. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, as we continued, we just constantly took new feedback, new feedback, new input um, to kind of reshape our vision of, of what Neutrino should be, what people wanted um, in an, a knitting pattern, in a knitting app. Um, Okay, so tell me, so tell me then, what is Neutrino? Andrew? Well, yeah, I'll start and you can So um, af after we had done a little research and decided we were really going to do this, Allison finally decided she would let me teach her how to knit because she didn't want to learn. She has plenty of hobbies. She plays classical piano and she, uh, she didn't have enough time for the things she already loved doing. And, but, but she just felt like she had to do it if we were going to do this. And so we were knitting on vacation and, um, she made one of those first mistakes everyone makes. Um, her needles dropped off her stitches and she was like, Andrea, what do I do? You know, and she never panics, but that, that's how I would have sounded. Um, and I said, it's okay, it's okay. Let's just fix them and put them back on. And this is how they go back on. And then another time she had a mistake, like a few rows down and I showed her how to drop down and fix it and pull it back up. And it was kind of like a aha process of, this is what people need if they're learning to knit. They need a sister, they need a knitting companion who's there to help them in their time of crisis because knitting should be joyful and we all know that there are times when you cry <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah and so so yeah we we kind of had that image in our minds that neutrino is your knitting sister your knitting coach your knitting mentor you know it's it's the friend that you have who will answer your questions and support you as you make inevitable errors, you don't have to go back to the beginning and start over. You can fix it, right? Which yeah. is what I had thought is that I had to start over once I <laughs> made a mistake or dropped some stitches. And we also wanted to make patterns just a lot easier to use because we early on had this uh, other light bulb moment of, when we used to use our atlases to drive around and you know we are a little bit older and so when we were in college that's all we had were maps you know i mean real maps and you if you were a newlywed and you're on your vacation that might have gone all over the country you got in a lot of fights with your newlywed husband and, and you cried and that's not fun. You're supposed to be on your honeymoon. <laughs> and it was such a good analogy to how Google Maps really transform navigation. Yeah. And marriages, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> just just listen to the Googles. Um, but yeah, it, it I think that's the analogy that we really like to use that that um, neutrino is like Google Maps for knitting patterns that we give you all the information you need, but in a step-by-step -step format so that, you know, you're not so far zoomed out that you can't see the details. Um, 
everything and and just like google maps is a very visual tool um, that's what we wanted to have we wanted to have the ability um, you know how you can drop a pin on google maps well let's say you want to pin a note to your pattern um, you know we wanted to have the ability to just to pin a sticky note somewhere on your pattern. We wanted to have the ability, if you don't know what a stitch is, you can just click it and you're gonna get the written instructions for how to do a stitch and a video for how to do a stitch. Um, the ability to save your place so that you can, you know, leave and come back and know right where you are, just like Google Maps. And um, we, we really like that analogy for, for so many reasons. And just like Google Maps, when we were starting out using software to get around instead of maps, instead of an atlas, you know, there was that hesitation, like, do I really trust it? And it, it started with MapQuest, right? And you would map your directions and then you would print it out and you'd have the map and the step-by-step -step instructions and it was all there. And then Google came along and you had it on your smartphone and you were like, well, I kind of trust it, but I'm going to read through it all first anyway, just to make sure I know what's going to happen. And then at some point, we don't know when, we just started trusting Google. And we stopped reading the instructions before we went. We just punch in the address and we go, right? And, and we really think that's a nice analogy um, for, for what Neutrino is aiming to be. Like we, we want to get to the point where people feel that same level of confidence and trust. Not to say that Google doesn't ever make mistakes. It often does. It has you do those little clover leaves, you know? <laughs> we do that too. <laughs> but our goal is to not do that. Our goal is for people to, to feel comfortable and confident and to know that when they come into a neutrino pattern, it is beautiful. It has been thoroughly tech edited, thoroughly tested, and that, you know, they're going to have a great experience. They're going to get from point A to point B. Yes, there might be a reroute. We hope not, <laughs> but they're going to have everything they need to get to where they're going. And we aren't done. Like, I think if we can get, we have a really long roadmap. Um, and if we can get to the end with all the secret things we're planning, I think we can get to a point where there are hardly any more mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's a, another good point to, to mention. You know, there are a lot of different ways um, to build a new product. <clears throat> Ours is very market focused. And so every step along the way, we have had user input. We, you know, it's funny, I, I once heard someone describe, and I don't know if I can describe this in words because it's kind of a gesture, but I'll try. Um, so when you have an idea, you can either be closed with it and hold it really close to you and not share it with anyone. And then you build it all by yourself. And then you say, ta-da, here it is. And then the market decides whether they want to accept or reject it. Or if you have an idea, you can do the opposite and say, hey, market, here's my idea. Tell me what you think. Tell me what you want from this idea. And, and if you do the latter, you're partnering with the market the whole way, that whole journey. And so you're going to have a much better chance of building something that the market really wants. Um, and we can all probably, I won't name names, but we can all probably think of 
other, let's say, knitting apps that have uh, tried before and, and did that first, you know, thing where they just kind of kept it a secret and tried to well, build it. It's scary, right? It's scary oh, it's your so big scary. idea out there because anyone could steal it while you're still, we're just two people. We don't have lots of money. And so it yeah. is scary. I get that. Yeah. But, but, but I had an entrepreneurship uh, professor once say, if, if your idea is so easy that if someone heard it, they could steal it, you need a better idea. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I thought it was a good one. So, so anyway, you know, even so after we did those user interviews and before we actually started the development process, um, we spent nine months just building prototypes and mock-ups and actually um, having people knit with them. And when I say building, these are things I built. Like they were, they're essentially like little websites that look like an app, but they're not. And so you can use it on your phone, almost like an app. That way we were able to get user input before we ever spent a dollar on development, um, which, you know, I, so I do a little bit of mentoring for other entrepreneurs and I tell them that all the time, like, what are the ways that you can prove out your idea before you spend money? Yeah. That's a really good one. Prototyping things. Um, the other thing is, is not waiting to find out what people will pay. (laughs) I think a lot of people are really scared to ask the question, you know, will you pay for this? And and you can't say, what would you pay? Because would is a very different question um but to to actually put it to people and say here is this thing will you buy it you know um you have to do that as early as possible um because you don't want to get to the end spend all your money and then find out oh my price point was way off (laughs) so yeah that's probably i feel like i'm giving all the advice now and (laughs) well you have to we, did we say that Allison did get her uh, no we didn't EMBA while she was working at this other company um so yeah, she so was, I, she I'll was, say it's an I got an executive MBA which is um a variation on an MBA but it tends to be geared more toward people on executive teams in companies um so in the end, I found out after I was a year into that program, and I won't tell you how much money into that program, that uh, they had a another program that was called a master's in entrepreneurship. And I was like, that's what I should have done. Because <laughs> it was the entrepreneurship part that I really, really liked. But but I did get a really broad, um, broad base. You know, I, I do all our books. I do all the accounting and the contracts and all that so yeah that's well it's all useful stuff yeah okay so I'm gonna I'm gonna come back with and see if this is any different than what you just described so somebody comes up to you you tell them about the app and they like me before we started recording so something like well you guys are like an alternative to Ravelry right and I want to know what the counter to that is or the answer I guess the answer to that So I'll start and um, Allison may want to add on, but we are an alternative to Ravelry in the sense that you can find patterns in Neutrino. Um, We, and that's about it. Like, well, it's a technology, right? (laughs) Um, 
we will never have a huge database of patterns. We're just two people and we have to build these ourselves in the back end. And there's no way to import PDFs because they're so unstructured with their data and unstandardized with the way they say things. Um, and, and that was something we heard early on in our knitter interviews was a lot of people were overwhelmed by Ravelry. They would spend hours and hours searching for just that thing. And we, that's what we want. We want to offer you just these few beautiful things. You won't have to think about it too long because there, there's just a few like, do you want to do the sweater? Do you want to do the shawl? Like, <laughs> um, and, and they're seasonal and they will change just like a magazine. And um, I, I think that's how I would answer yeah. that. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's good. I, the, you know, it is by design. We never want to have a bazillion patterns because, because we have heard from knitters, as Andrea said, that um, they were just completely overwhelmed. I, I remember one knitter I interviewed who was looking for her first sweater. She told me she probably looked at 300 patterns on Ravelry. And, and she's like, she was one of those people. She's like, I don't mind paying for a pattern, but you never know the quality you're going to get. And, and I just, I wanted to make sure my sweater was a success. Now her sweater wasn't a success because she started knitting it. And then at some point started looking at the wrong size in the list of sizes. So she had to tear it out and start over. Um, another thing we learned, we only show one size at a time specifically for that reason. But, um, but yeah, I think it, it's exactly that we don't, we want users to know this, there is quality here in these patterns. If you don't see something that you want to knit, just wait a couple of weeks, you know, we're going to have something new out. Um, so yeah. Uh, the other piece I think that is different than Ravelry is that uh, Ravelry has all the forums, right? And the um, I, groups, I guess, I'm, I'm not quite sure the difference of those things, but um, and we right now don't have a social aspect within our app. Um, we do, however, uh, use Slack for our knit-alongs. And so we, we have ended up building quite a community um, on our private Slack channel uh, where these knit-alongs happen and everything like that. And that, that has actually been, I think, really nice. It's been kind of a slow way. Again, uh, you know, we're trying to prove out what we need before we build it. Because the social aspect is gonna be crazy expensive for us to develop, but we can use Slack, which is free and really get a sense of what we need in terms of uh, social sharing. Um, and then we use Instagram and hashtags to show other people's projects. So in any pattern, you can click on a link and it will take you to all the projects on Instagram that use that hashtag. Um, so you can see what other people did. So, so we do try and accomplish some of the things that you can do on Ravelry um, in different ways. Mm, okay, so, so then who, who writes the patterns for Nitrino? So um, I was really lucky to have some great connections having worked with a lot of magazines and we were able to um, get a lot of introductions and um, put out, well, we, we hired Carrie Bogert. I don't think she would care to, to let everyone know that. So she was the former editor in chief of Interweave Books and she would put together mood boards for us and beautiful themes, like just like a magazine, you know, 
Um, and they were very inspiring. And so she introduced us to a lot of people she said were really good to work with. And we got a lot of beautiful designs. We took more than we were able to build because we didn't know how slow it was going to be. Um, but yeah, we work with independent knitwear designers and we put out submissions when we're taking new ones, which won't be for a really long time right now. <laughs> Um, and we built a few of them ourselves only because it, you know, sometimes we just want a small free thing or a small special thing. Um, and it's easier actually right now to build them ourselves. It goes a lot faster because we, we are refunneling how the whole process goes. And you may want to talk more about that. Well, yeah, if uh, and I don't know, I don't know how familiar people in general are with agile development versus waterfall development, but it, it really comes down to that, you know, um, with agile development, you do a lot of iterating. So you take, it's like, um, I compare it to evolution, right? Evolution takes all these baby steps to, to slowly climb up to some big change in species. Um, sometimes, sometimes yeah. And, <laughs> And so that, that's what Agile is. You know, you make these all these little incremental improvements, get feedback, iterate. Um, waterfall development is where, where you, you're like, okay, here's the finished thing. And then you have to go back and iterate on this big, huge thing. It's just, and, and so our, um, I probably should say all that a different way, <laughs> but our, our, uh, our pattern writing process, you know, we get this end result first from the designer that is in no way what we need in order to create it in Neutrino. Like it has all the information there, but we have to completely disassemble it, rework it, and then reassemble it in order to get it into Neutrino. So when we do things ourselves, we're able to skip all that front stuff of disassembling, reassembling, right? Because we already know how, how it needs to go together to go into Neutrino. So that's probably a better way of, <laughs> better way of explaining it. So then are you like going forward, are you thinking of ways to ask for submissions in a way that you can do the more agile and not so much waterfall? Totally. Um, so what people probably don't realize is that uh, with Neutrino, we have actually built two pieces of software. There is the mobile app that knitters use that is Neutrino. And then we also built a backend tool that we call Patterfy. Um, and right now it's only accessible to us, um, but that is the tool where we build the patterns that Neutrino then brings into the, to the app. Um, and so we built that with the mindset that someday we wanted to get it to the point where other people could use it. And, and we also, engineered it differently than anything else that's out there with the hope that, you know, someday it might even just be not just for people who want to put patterns in Neutrino, but just to make it easier to make a pattern. Um, and so there is still, you know, we spent most of our money on, on the uh, front end on the stuff that knitters see and very little of our money on the back end that we have to work in. <laughs> um, so there's still a lot of work we need to do there. Um, before we can get it to the point where designers could use it. Um, but it is built with that in mind. So, um, and honestly, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder how far out we are. We, we've done some experiments where we build a template and then let designers just go in and edit the template. And that actually seems to work pretty well. Um, so, so we may be doing more experiments like that. 
That's really cool. Um, okay, so I want to ask this question, and it's okay if you don't want to answer it in like a public way, but I, I'm kind of curious as to like, how does the business model work? Like, how does the how does the money get to you? Yeah, um, Andrea, you want me to answer that? Yep. Okay. <laughs> <Keep> the business <laughs> um, <in. laughs> So, you know, as we were doing our market research, we asked a lot of questions about how people buy patterns, you know, how they felt about subscription, all of those things. Everybody, I feel like these days, wants to build a subscription product. Like, oh my gosh, how many video watching subscriptions do I need in my life? I have Netflix, I have Prime. I, there were just too many and I, I, I get so sick of it. I don't want all these subscriptions. Um, but we asked knitters that question too. And, you know, out of hundreds of knitters, we had two tell us that they wanted a subscription. Everybody else was just like, nope, I buy patterns now. I'm happy with that process. And so our model is direct sales of patterns. So we always have at least one free pattern in Neutrino so people can try it out. Um, but once, um, you know, if, if somebody wants to knit something else in Neutrino, they buy the pattern. Once they buy it, it's theirs for keeps, even though the pattern is only available for a limited time on Neutrino. Once it goes away, you'll still have access to it if you've bought it. And then in terms of how designers are paid, we actually pay designers really well up front. Um, we think we pay some of the highest rates in the industry. And it's our goal to make it really easy for designers to work with us so that they'll feel like it's easy and they're well compensated for their designs. Um, that makes them want to come back and publish with us again, which many designers have more than one design with us, even if it's not published yet. And so, um, so that way designers have already been compensated. Um, we're not doing any kind of you know, revenue splitting with them. They're already paid um, and they get paid you know, as soon as we accept their design, which again is uh, quite a bit better than magazines often, which uh, can have a long delay in paying designers. So again, all of that, we're just trying to fit with what people want. Like how, how do we make it easy to understand for knitters, easy and happy for designers. <laughs> um, yeah, and that's our model. Uh, we also do sell some kits. So normally when we launch a new pattern, we'll also have a limited number of kits that people can buy. And again, we're partnering with um, Indie Dyers on that. So we're able to get yarn at wholesale and honestly, you know, we're so, we're still so small right now. The kits are a really important way for us to make revenue um, just so we can stay afloat. <laughs> yeah. So what's the average price of a pattern on each channel? Uh, it's probably like $14, $15 okay. average. I mean, they range, most of them range, I guess we have a few $9 patterns, but most of them range from like 12 to 17, I feel like. All right, I, I mean, I'm, I'm for that. Is that right, Andrea? Yeah, yes, thanks, Anastasia. We um, we uh, have to price our sweaters pretty high because of all the labor that goes into making each size so you only see your size. You guys just wouldn't believe what Allison has to do in Excel. And I, I, can't, I cannot look at her spreadsheets. <laughs> they make me dizzy, but um. You know, sewing patterns 
people are used to paying those kind of prices for. And it's just so weird how people's, I don't know, mine gets stuck on something. And, you know, not to like bash Ravelry, but I feel like Ravelry, um, and it wasn't really their fault, but because there's so many free patterns on there, it kind of devalued the work of design. And, and, you know, the leading designers are charging $8 for a sweater pattern. Well, a little designer like me is never going to make a living on that, you know? I don't know if you guys listened to my podcast yesterday, but it was, should you offer sales on your knitting patterns? And like, I go into this like full on, like about the, the discounts just devalue. What other industry, what other industry releases things, new products at a discount? Oh, no. you're my favorite. That's it. <laughs> so, so the, Andrea has heard me say this until she's sick, I'm sure. But I, I always say, the only things that are free are things that have no value. <laughs> it's true, right? Like, um, and we don't, we don't offer sales. Like we, we are charging a fair price. We believe that you're getting value for what you're buying. Not only are you getting a beautiful knitting pattern, but you're getting an outstanding user experience yeah. um, and, and support like you will get nowhere else. Like we, if you have a question, we, we try to respond within an hour. If it's during our daytime hours, um, you know, you'll be fully supported with Neutrino. And so, you know, for the people who complain that $12 or $14 is just too much for a pattern, um, that is absolutely fine. They have plenty of other options they yes. can use. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love the idea of having, you have like one free pattern, right? So anybody can see how that functionality is, right? Even if you were just like a regular designer making patterns, like having something for free, people can see what your style is, how well your patterns are written. But then from then on, I don't think sales are a good idea. And then when you have those huge designers that are only charging $8 for a sweater, and then you have so many consumers saying, well, they don't charge any more than $8. So I'm not going to pay that anywhere else. And it, yeah. that, that thinking really needs to shift. And it, it, yeah, anyway, I could go on and on and on and on. And I went on and on and on about it for like four hours. Hey, I'm so go on and on and on again. I don't mind. Yeah. I, I want to butt in. First of all, I'm going to listen to that as soon as yeah. I can. Uh, <laughs> I listen to, which probably everyone does, uh, the hashtag authentic podcast. Yeah. And she said in one of her best episodes what integrity was to her. And she said, integrity is creating the very best thing that you want to put out into the world and then charging what it's worth. Like, cause you're, you know, you're, you're valuable. Um, and I just thought that was some, something I never really thought about before, but yeah. I think in this craft industry, people feel like it's nice to give people free things or. Oh, and what I, I, I probably won't say who, although I might have my arm twisted, <laughs> but we were talking to an indie dyer who, yeah, I won't say who, uh, we love her. She is fabulous. She does a lot of sales, which I, I disagree with, but at one point she, she said, I just loved this. She said, you know, people, people tell me sometimes they can't afford my prices. And, and I say, well, 
do you, do you go into a Lexus dealership and say, Hey, I really want that Lexus, but I can't afford it. Give it to <laughs> me for a thousand dollars. And I was like, it, it is just a funny, funny market where I don't know why, maybe because we're using, we're slowly creating, we're using our hands to make something. But what I really think it is, is that we already undervalue our time, our labor. And, and I think you just see that throughout this craft industry that, um, you know, we, we have not had a salary for three years, almost three years now. Um, and that will change as soon as, <laughs> as soon as we have enough money. And, um, you know, we were privileged to have the background and the savings yeah. that we could take three years to do this. Um, not every, we know not everybody has that kind of opportunity, uh, but we did work hard our whole lives. We, you know, we didn't come from much and, um, I don't know. I'm really proud of what we've built. Me too. Yeah. Me too. And I, I think, you know, the one thing, the one comparison I make sometimes because people always want to help. They're like, oh, you have all this work to do. Let us help you build the patterns or let us help you. We'll volunteer. And, and again, I always come back to your time is valuable. I am not going to let you do work for me unless I pay you, pay you a fair wage. And I think that's part of the the issue that I see on Ravelry, it's that there are all these volunteers who, again, don't value their own time, you know, don't, don't feel, and I understand that wanting to help, but there are other ways to help, right? Like, um, I don't know, that's probably a big tangent that we can. No, it's true. It's like all that stuff, all the free patterns, all the discounts, they don't serve anyone in the industry. They don't. They don't nobody have, they just nobody wins service exactly exactly yeah. because honestly if you if you can pay you know i again i always come back to yarn people are paying two hundred dollars not everybody but a lot of people are paying two hundred dollars for indie dyed yarn to make a sweater and then they complain about a fifteen dollar pattern yeah right and i again i think it's anchoring i think they've anchored to low prices you know, in my opinion, the pattern is the most important part of that process. Yeah. Maybe we should start charging $200 for the pattern. <laughs> oh my gosh. But we'll I mean, sell one. Really, I bet I we'll mean, sell like, one. And this is, and I talked about this in my podcast, my last episode too, but I mean, like you think about all the processes and the steps that go into creating a pattern and yeah. then you sell it for $8, but at a at a sale when you release it and then Ravelry takes a fee and then the payment processor oh. takes a fee. And then what are you left with? How much more are you going to need to sell to like make your goals? Anyway, again, soapbox getting off of it, but it just, it just, it's insane to me. It's insane. Now that all this has been said and I've taken up about 45 minutes of your time, uh, a little bit more actually, uh, our fault, I think. what you are, no, I'm not at fault. You know, guys have so much to share. It's so amazing. Um, but what are some of your piece of, pieces of advice for either business owners in general or business owners in the fiber arts industry? I'll take any of it, but what, what pieces of things have you learned that you feel are really important that other people also should be implementing other than don't put sales on your knitting patterns? Well, I can talk 
personally as a designer, and then Allison can talk maybe as building a new business, but designing is such hard work. Like there's so much technical skill you have to have and how you say things and your consistency and the math um, that I would not design anymore unless I was working with just a couple of companies. And of course, one of them is Neutrino because I trust them. They try to make it easier for me. Um, you know, my independent designs, I might make $10 an hour off of that labor. And that's on a really good pattern. And I, we talked to other designers that are about my size and published in magazines, and that's about what they were making too. Um, so my advice, if you're thinking about design is probably do it for the love, like, and, you know, and, and you're going to have to decide based on how you feel about yourself. Like, do you want to pay for good tech editing and write a really good pattern that you may not even make money off of. And I think it's just an act of creativity and love right now. I hope someday it will actually be something designers can make a good living off of. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, uh, yeah. I mean, I would say in response to that, you know, in a rational marketplace, if you put something out there and you lose money every time, a rational actor will stop doing that. <laughs> I don't know why that doesn't work in the knitting world. It seems like people just, except for three people who make a lot of money. Yeah. Maybe 10. <laughs> I don't know. I can only think of three. <laughs> um, so my little piece of advice, no matter what you're doing, I think any, any business is to get, to get feedback from your people, feedback from your knitters, feedback from your customers as quick and as often as possible. So, um, because I, I see this a lot, I think with design, I see it with dyers, um, all, all the things that they'll just come up with something and then sell it, right? Whereas I am, I really wanna know, do people like it, right? So, so put a teaser out there, say, ooh, I'm playing with some colors, you know? Um, do some pre-orders. That'll tell you how much people want to buy your, what you're putting out. Right. Um, I, I think the more, you know, the more you can do that, the more you can bring sales in to validate and to validate an idea before you launch it, the more profitable your business will be because you, you won't be creating inventory that you're not going to sell. Um, you're going to know that what you're putting out there is stuff that people want. Um, and it'll just help you make better decisions. I am a big proponent. I mean, even when we were ages ago, I can't even remember what year it was. We were in alpha testing. We were a long way from having a real app. Um, and, and with our alpha test, we, we made sales. Like we said, get the first version of Neutrino and you know, you'll get all this stuff but it is the first version. It's going to have bugs. It's going to have, but, but so we were able to prioritize the people who, who would pay. Right. So then we know that we're building our app for the right customers. We're building it for the people who will pay. I don't want to build something for all the people who don't want to pay. Not that I don't love them, but I need the money in order to survive. <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. That's just the system we live in. So, um, so yeah, I think, I think the more people can kind of challenge their thinking and just every time 
they're going to do something, think, okay, well, how can I validate that before I do it? How can I, how can I bring that forward? How can I know that this is the right choice versus that? And sometimes you don't know, and you just have to pick one, but, um, but I think, you know, that's what we always try to do before we, before we build a new feature, before we do anything, we, we want to hear what people think about it. So we'll build a prototype and, and toss it out there. Right now, that's brioche. Like, oh my gosh, brioche <laughs> is a bitch. Um, yeah, we're, we're building, we're on our, I think, seventh iteration. Um, this, this one hasn't even yet been in front of customers, but it's about to be. Um, but yeah, we want to we wanna get feedback before we launch something new, right? So... Mm-hmm. Cool. That's awesome. Well, uh, where can people find you guys if they want to connect? Everywhere. (laughs) So, uh, well, if you want to download and install Netrino, um, we are in both app stores. Um, So Netrino is only available for iOS and Android. Um, That means it does work on iOS and Android tablets. uh, So iPads. And, but it, it is not a website. It is not for use on desktops. Um, and, uh, we have a website at neutrino.com that you can, from there, you can just click a button and it'll take you to the app stores. Uh, we're on Instagram at neutrino. We're in all the places at neutrino. Okay. That was amazing. Wasn't it? Yes. Correct. Yes, it was. Um, you know, I, at the beginning used to say, oh, you can find everything in the show notes. And to be honest, uh, I haven't really had time to do show notes. They take a lot of work. So um, I may get show notes here up at some point eventually, but definitely go check these gals out. Check out Neutrino. I downloaded it. I'm excited actually to start my first pattern in their interactive space. Um, And if nothing else, we'll talk to you next week. 